I'm Barry Ritholtz, introducing you to a new podcast focused entirely on cars. Every week, Matt Miller and Hannah Elliott get together to talk about auto industry news, the cars they're driving and reviewing, and anything else happening in the world of automobiles. As a big car guy myself, you'll hear me join them on an occasional episode now and then. Without further ado, let me introduce you to the latest episode of Hot Pursuit. I'm Matt Miller. I'm Hannah Elliott. And this is Hot Pursuit. All right, we have a fantastic podcast for you today. We're going to touch on Formula One, give you the update on the Ferraris we were talking about last week. But we also have a special guest, a recurring guest, Barry Ritholtz. He is the host of Masters in Business, probably our most popular podcast on the Bloomberg platform. And he has a new podcast called At The Money. At The Money. Yep. ATM. Plus, obviously, the founder of Ritholtz Wealth Management, and he's a contributor to Bloomberg a lot. So, uh, Hannah, we're going to talk about Formula One because you're preparing to go to Las Vegas. <laughs> we're also going to talk about hybrids. I think they're the way forward. You think it's a Band-Aid. There's a lot more sort of econo boxes and grocery getters that I think are really cool, though, in this space. And then we're going to get to Audis. You just recently drove the SQ8 e-tron. That's correct. And Barry has an R8, the first car I bought was an Audi and A4 Avant. Those have become very collectible now. And mine Avant. was a 2.5 Swagging. TDI, which I loved with, so with much. Stick shift? Or? Yes, obviously. Yeah, those those have become desirable. All right, let's kick it off, though, with Formula One, because I guess, what, you're getting ready to head out to Sin City, and what do you expect? It's going to be very interesting because when Formula One and Liberty Media, which owns Formula One, entered into this deal with the city of Las Vegas to host the race, it seemed like a home run, like a match made in heaven. I mean, it's Vegas, which of course is sort of the party center of the world right now and has a bunch of uh, great professional sports teams. We've got hockey, we've got NFL, we're going to get some baseball. The Bellagio, Wynn Resorts, the Sphere. Oh, oh, let's not forget the Sphere. There's so much there and the food's great. You know, all of this stuff, there's Jean-Georges restaurants. But the thing is, and you know, Formula One's been doing great in the U.S. But in the past month or so, it's been really weird because ticket prices have been dropping, both ticket prices for general entry into um, the Grand Prix, hotel room rates have been dropping, and it's kind of creating this feeling that maybe Vegas bit off more than it can chew. It's possible organizers sort of got a little bit too greedy with how they price things and people are just not having it. That's crazy. So if I decided, you know what, I am going to go see Formula One this weekend and skip the birth of my second daughter. <laughs> you think I could get tickets? Oh, you'd have no problem getting tickets. Now, I will say you might pay like six or seven hundred dollars a night for a hotel room at like the Venetian, but that's pretty typical. And it's actually far less than you would have paid had you tried to get a room a month ago or two months ago. So this is an expensive sport and an expensive city, but compared to what prices were listed at a month or two months ago, you're going to get a deal. And there's plenty of tickets to go around. There are plenty of flights from LA to Vegas. So Barry, uh, would you, would you go? You know, the problem with Formula One is, you know, you're in a corner, you're watching the cars go by. It's not, I know it's uh, very visceral and, and very exciting for a few moments. Chest. That's the best right. part. 
But yeah. then you're there for another four hours, and it, it's a sport that's so great on television. It's very comfortable. You really can see stuff. Everyone should go do it once. I don't know if I need to do this uh, in Vegas. And and the thing I'm wondering about, how much of this is specific to Las Vegas and how much of this is just, hey, the economy is moving along. Inflation is coming down, but we're starting to slow down. When when you look at what's going on with uh, auction prices of used cars, 911s, Ferraris, whatever, or even watches, Everything seems that had run up in 20 and 21 and 22. It's all softening. I wonder if this is a broader macro concern. I think that's a really interesting point. And we talked about this Ferrari last week, this Ferrari 250 GTO that was going to go on sale. And to your point, Barry, yes, it sold this week for almost $52 million, but that was actually far less than RM Sotheby's had hoped to get for the car. And they were saying, you know, in excess of 60 million, the hammer price on that Ferrari was actually 47. So, yes, this is a very expensive car, but relative to where it was supposed to be, quote unquote, it's really down. And to your point, Barry, I think this YOLO economy is over. Yeah, we saw um, this week Bloomberg put out a story prices for Rolex and Patek Philippe watches, you know, the ultra luxury, super high end watches on the Bloomberg subdial index have come crashing down. They were off 1.8% last month to the lowest level since 2021. Do you think that's the problem with F1 or is the sport too boring? The engines aren't big enough. No one passes. Here's a problem. Max Verstappen. That's a problem. He wins all the time. He's already clinched the, the title. It's He's won like 17 of the last 20 races. It's pretty predictable at this point. Even second place is pretty predictable. And the other thing, to Barry's point about the TV viewership, this race starts at 10 p.m. Pacific time, which means you're going to have to be a diehard fan. Whoa. Watch it. It really yes. is one in the morning East Coast yes. time. I did not There are not, not that. many people who are going to be up at 1 a.m. in New York, I don't think, to watch this race. You can always watch it the next day on, on the replay. Yeah, as I mean, well. I'm a huge fan of MotoGP, as you know, because it's a far better sport. I mean, there's a lot of passing. There's a lot more strategy. You have tons of different winners. And I just have a subscription to MotoGP.com, and then I watch it after the race is over because it was inevitably in Indonesia, and then it doesn't come on until, you know, like eight in the morning on a Sunday. I'm not up at that point. I think it could be a bunch of different factors from an economy that's slowing down to Max Verstappen winning every time. But are we still going to see, like, is Brad Pitt going to go? Is, like, Puff Daddy going to go? You know, are all the celebrities going to be there and having, like, $15,000 dinners? Yes, I think so. Maybe more interesting than Brad Pitt, David Beckham will be there. I don't know if you've seen the latest Beckham. Uh, There's nothing more interesting than Brad Pitt. Yeah, I thought it was so good. Um, I mean, I'm a big Victoria Beckham fan after that. But yeah, Shaq will be there. There will be celebrities there. It's going to be fun no matter what. How can you not have fun in Las Vegas? And I will say organizers are saying that they're expecting record revenue Regardless of anything, they're on track to, quote unquote, sell out of tickets. This is what they're telling us. So it's still going to be great. It's going to be great fun. Anyone who's going should really pack their coats, though. It's going to be pretty cold. In Las Vegas? 10 o'clock in the desert in November is cold. True. Desert. Yeah. Yeah. If you go to Vegas and you can't have fun, you're not doing it right. Right. Do you like Vegas, Barry? No, I can't stand it. But (laughs) I mean, for a couple nights with... Yeah, um, if I have to, there's great restaurants, there's great shows, but 
not my first choice of destination. When they finally nuke that part of Nevada, you know, and the whole area is just silicon glass, it'll be fine. I, I went to Lamborghini driving school there. That's oh. a different story. That was awesome. You know, you can, you can rent a World War II Spitfire and go up with a pilot. That's worth doing. And Vegas is the only place that'll let you sign off and say, sure, I'll take my life in my hands in a 80-year-old World War II plane. Let's go. I'd like you to can't shoot do that Uzi anywhere in the desert. Right. Go, pff, Vegas. Yeah, sign up. Vegas, that all counts as Vegas, though. So yeah, I Vegas guess. Vegas is a lot more than just the strip. I mean, totally agree. driving out to the Hoover Dam is really cool. And I do think sort of dusty hotels where Elvis played and Sinatra are really cool. There's amazing off-roading out there. Um, all of that, to me, counts as, quote-unquote, Vegas. When I go, 100%. oh, there's fabulous shopping, too. I've I 100% all right, so I'm gonna change. I don't, I don't I'm gonna... go to casinos at all. <laughs> no. I don't right. hang out on the Strip. No. I don't gamble. No. That's the no. part of Vegas I hate. Everything around that is really interesting. Fun. Yeah, you yeah. want to wake up married to somebody you have no idea her last name, you know? <laughs> Apologies to my wife. Your uh, pregnant wife. You're yes. very pregnant. Let's wife. move on fans. to. Well, and her favorite car is the um, Volvo XC90 T8, which is a hybrid. Smart woman. You know, you can go 20 miles or more on the battery alone. And so for doing things around town, dropping kids off at school, going to the grocery store, um, no problem. And then you can go on longer trips because it has a gas engine that kicks in. It's beautiful design. I have to agree with her on that. Especially that interior. And, and Barry, you sent me and Hannah an email this morning about a Toyota Camry that's only going to be sold right, in the hybrid. Right, right. They're, they're giving up the gas only. Listen, the crazy thing about Toyota is they have this massive lead in hybrid technology, and you... We're waiting for what they're going to do next, and, uh, you know, they kind of let Tesla eat their lunch. But what Toyota is telling us is the immediate future, the next decade, is going to be hybrid. And obviously, Tesla doesn't have any hybrid vehicles. They're fully electric. That annoys me because I can never find a place to charge, and I like to have a little Moto Vibes Hannah, you don't think that hybrids are the way forward, though? I am not a fan of hybrids just because I tend to be a purist. I want to go all in, all or nothing. Um, and I love the, of course, the quick performance of electric vehicles. And I love my own personal internal combustion cars. So hybrids have always seemed to me to just be eh, like halfway, but nowhere, anywhere. Who cares if, you know, Toyota was making a Prius because also BMW was making the i8. And Well, I love the i8. Dude, the <laughs> i8 and the i3, to me, were when I first understood why it's cool to have uh, a range extender motor, right? Because yes. they were fully electric vehicles, but they just had a little, I think it was a 1.3 three liter three-cylinder yeah. as like a utility pack. It's like bringing yes. along a backpack. It's like being a prepper. You know, you always have an option if you need it. My wife's Panamera Hybrid, we, we drove to Connecticut this weekend. We got nearly 40 miles a gallon on the way there. We exhausted most of the electric for that range. But when you drop your right foot, you still have over 500 horsepower. And that car really goes when you want it to go. So it, to me, it's the best of both worlds. Almost 40 miles a gallon on a 100-mile trip into the woods in Connecticut and somewhat less on the way home without any electric. You know, I always say there's no replacement for displacement, but I think <laughs> batteries might be that replacement. I'm driving right now a Kia Sorento 
P-H-E-V. And aside from all the other stuff that's impressive about it, and there's a ton of stuff. It's got a locking center diff. It's got this really cool technology where when you put your turn signal on in your center display, you can see your blind spot. They have and in fact, all of the Hyundai Kias do that. You signal right and it shows up in your that's right. awesome. And you signal left and it shows up in your left dial. That should be a standard technology across this the whole industry. In any luxury automotive. Okay, well, but for a Kia, I think it's really cool. I mean, for a Kia, it's got torque vectoring all-wheel drive. That's not something you expect when you're buying a Korean car. But I thought the engine was more substantial than it was when I first started driving it. I hadn't read the specs. I popped open the hood, and I saw it's got a 1.6-liter inline four like that's a tiny, tiny little right. motor but it still has 260 horsepower 260 pound feet of torque for you know fifty thousand dollars for the fully loaded like most luxurious edition that's pretty peppy it's a lot of truck for the money and, yeah. and look the way every one of these new manufacturers that are trying to gain traction or expand their footprint find an audience is by offering a lot of value for the money think back to the way honda did this 40 years ago, or the way Toyota did it 60 years ago. So, Can Hannah, do you ever it? drive, like, a Kia? Because I always think, yes. you know, you're the one who's constantly in a Cullinan. But okay. do you ever drive, like, a Korean car? <laughs> this is true. Typically, no. I, I will openly say we do not cover, typically, Kia at Bloomberg Pursuits. However, I did recently drive the Kia EV9, which is their big electric SUV. I want to try and that. I really, really liked it. I was surprised at how beautiful and well thought out it was. I actually really would love to go visit the factory in South Korea. I'm going to try to do that next year because Kia is really making a play to elevate themselves so that they could potentially have shoppers cross shopping between like Volvo or Land Rover yeah. into Kia and or even Audi. And I don't think that's out of the question based on what I've seen. I, we joke about it. Like typically I wouldn't cover it, but the limited amount of Kia products that I have seen and driven, I actually am pretty impressed by it. And let's not forget, this is a company that also makes Genesis. Yeah. I was about to bring brand. that up. Kia yeah. is owned by Hyundai. Genesis is their version of Lexus versus Toyota. They know what Toyota. they're doing. They yeah. know what they're doing. One question, though. Do you read the new Kia logo as Nine Inch Nails? I love <laughs> I love the way it reminds me of Nine Inch Nails. That's 100%. hilarious. I'm, I'm on board with that. And I, by the way, I think that the new logo really helped them transition their brand a little bit from being kind of a bargain basement, you know, Korean econo box to yeah. being something that people really would cross shop with a Range Rover. I mean, the Telluride is a beautiful car. I don't love the powertrain, but the logo, I think, helps a lot. It looks really cool. I agree. There's I'm with you. About, it's an attitude of beautiful hospitality. And I know that sounds like a PR line, but it actually is true that some of their vehicles really have this beautiful sense of a welcome environment. I wish right. they'd throw in a V8 once in a while. They need to make a big halo car. There are no more V8s coming out, and they're certainly not, not coming out of Asia. For mass production, I just think they need to make a halo car so that people can then feel okay buying the lower-end models. That I is think it so old-school marketing. That's just not how it's done. We're going to give you a lot of car or truck for the money. Yes, it's only a V6, but you can tow, you could stick six people in the car, you could load it up with luggage, and it's not going to cost you an arm and a leg. That's the value proposition for these cars 
versus the cars that we really have grown up loving, the BMWs, the Mercedes, the much bigger and more expensive cars. Okay, I'm just saying, like, if Audi had never made the Quattro um, and won races with it, if they had never made the R8 that everybody drools over in Fifty Shades of Grey, I don't know that we'd be buying, you know, the Q3 either. And by the way, speaking of that, uh, both of you have a connection to Audi because... Hannah, you are test driving some version of their e-tron. Barry, you, of course, have the R8. But Hannah, first tell us about the EV that you drove. Okay, so yesterday I drove the SQ8 e-tron, which is basically a sort of a higher performance version of the Q8, which is a five-passenger SUV. It's all electric, starts at about $90,000 and it was beautiful. The, you know, Audi has been a little bit behind when it comes to offering electric vehicles and they're making, they're trying to make up for lost time. And so anything with e-tron at the end is their electric offering. The SQ8, despite its confusing name, was really nice. It was beautifully appointed inside. It was as quiet, actually proven by Audi, as quiet as an A8 sedan. Really nice, balanced. It's heavy. It's like a 6,000-pound SUV, so you do feel that a bit. Some people um, like it heavy. Yeah, Don't forget. Not sure, if you have to make no a turn. Judgment. There's no judgment. I like, it. I like a big, heavy cruiser. We, we, we love that. We love that. And this did feel really nicely insulated and solid. And I actually have a friend who's been looking for an electric SUV, and I instantly messaged her and said, I think you're really going to love it. It's I a good-looking truck. I drove also the Q8 e-tron, not the S version, but I'll say that I was disappointed that they used the Q8 moniker because I think the Q8 is one of the best designs Audi has come out with in at least a decade. It's a head turner whenever I see a real Q8 on the right. road. And the e-tron version is not a real Q8. It doesn't look as cool. It's more invisible. Like you can easily overlook the e-tron version. Whereas the full fat gas Q8, it's so hulking and muscular that you can't overlook it. But it is definitely solid. That's the word I would use for it. Like it is a product that you feel like is over-engineered and is not gonna break down. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. What do you think, uh, Barry, about Audis? I mean, you have obviously the Halo car, but what do you think about the, the brand and, and the other vehicles? Uh, you know, it's full-time all-wheel drive, and if you're in the part of the country where you're very much dealing with weather or, or you're off-road, uh, they're great for that. They're notoriously expensive to repair. They're, they're not the lowest cost maintenance. It, it, comparatively, you buy a, a Honda or a Toyota, you put gas and occasionally oil into it, you're good for a bajillion miles. Some The German cars tend to be a little more finicky. My experience with Audis and BMWs, you have to build 
a little bit of a repair buffer, especially if you're looking for a 30,000-mile car like I know you're hunting for. Yep. They're not terrible. It's not, you know, uh, you speak to people with, you know, uh, British cars or even some of the older Ferraris and you're writing big checks to your mechanic, but they're great cars. They're well-designed. They hold up well. And I know lots of people who have Q5s with, you know, 200,000 miles on them. Well, I, I think I have to say just a little bit. I think that German engineering has a pretty good track record For of reliability. Sure. And it's a little unfair to compare them to British and Italian engineering Agreed. Um, and, I've never had a problem. I had an Audi for a long time. So never had a problem with it. Right. If you have a repair, so, it'll cost you I had a Mercedes for a long time. Never had a problem uh, with my it. My SL was bulletproof until you had to replace the coils. You had to do something. Yeah. And it's not an inexpensive repair. I'm Just sensing, brace yourself. I'm sensing that Barry will always choose the practical option. The very solid, practical you know, you don't like the R8. Gonna, it's totally not. practical. Like like the M6 convertible manual. The most practical. No, GT I don't there think is. so, dude. He has a C2 and he bought a 911 that he sent to be converted uh -huh. into an EV. Well, yeah, so. I'm in the middle of that. That's a cars. fun project. These are not cheap cars. They're, but they are if you're buying them 25 years old. That's why I say you have to have a reasonable repair. You do budget. have to set aside a budget. So, I, yeah. by the way, I wanted as. Uh, Long-time listeners will know I really wanted to get a BMW 760 to replace my wife's Volvo, and she has basically said, no way, Jose. But she is willing to get an X5, and so I want the M50 with the twin-turbo V8 and the ZF transmission. I was looking at um, Savage Geese on YouTube, and they have a review of it, and they were like, listen, if something goes wrong with any of the air suspenders on each corner, $1,800. That happened with my brother, and it was much more than that it, on his 7 series. If something goes wrong with the transmission, um, you know, you're looking at a $5,000 repair. If something goes wrong with the engine, obviously rebuild, but they're not cheap to fix. So if you're buying a used one, the guy from Savage Geese said, set aside $10,000. That's or, exactly right. That's or buy yourself a more substantial extended warranty. Now, now, that said, I've had two series, I've had three series, I've had next four bulletproof, never need repairs, absolutely spectacular cars. But, for example, I had a fuel injection um, issue with the M6. I kept getting an idiot light. It, it it would reset itself, and it was a one of those quirky little things that were hard to pin down. Ultimately, it was BMW who figured out what it was. Not a cheap repair. Barry, what but was, that was my only repair I've had on that car in 10 years. What was, uh, and I want to know from Hannah too, what was the first car you ever bought with your own money? A Chrysler, 1967 Chrysler 300, cost me 100 bucks from my uncle. Had it for about a month. My mom totaled it. Nice, no. though. 300. Yep. Trip the tires at any speed. You're doing 50 miles an hour, step on the gas, They've, they've just come out with the last the last year of the Chrysler 300C yeah. with a 6.4 liter Hemi in it, which I'm pretty excited. End of the Hemi line. To drive. Right Hannah, what was the first car you ever bought? That was a 69 Buick Skylark that I paid also $100 for. I split it with my sister. We bought it from <laughs> a awesome. church lady who charged us $200. And I was deeply embarrassed of it and sold my half to my sister as quickly as I could. No. <laughs> yep. But and what a cool car. It was absolutely cool. It, she was far more uh, advanced think in her thinking about design and history than I was at the time. I was so embarrassed of that car. But she loved it. 
I think it's. I'm. I just googled it. Look at <laughs> yeah. this, Barry. What a cool car. Olive green, black interior. You know, beautiful steering. Not wheel. not the Super highlight cool. of American automobile manufacturing. <laughs> Dude, I think there. it's yeah. awesome. I would like to have one of those today. Yeah. I, my first car ever because I my dear late grandmother, bless her soul, gave me ten thousand um, dollars when I graduated from college, and I put it on a, a down payment for an Audi A4 Avant. Uh-huh. In the year cool. 2000, Very I was cool. living in Frankfurt at the time, so I got to drive it on the Autobahn. It had a 2.5 liter TDI, so it was diesel, but it had 180 horsepower and it's pretty light. So it really got moving. I could do like two top speed 220 in kilometers per hour. So that's like 130 wow. miles per hour. And in I did that. college age? When it, you're, when I, you're doing well, I was a little older. I was like okay. 25. And those diesels run forever also. Those are 300,000-mile cars. Yeah, that was a great, great vehicle. What happened to that car, Matt? I had to sell it when I moved to London um, a few years later because of the, you know, because the British drive on the wrong side of the road, so it wouldn't have made sense. And also, I think I was broke after a few years and needed the money. That does it for this episode. Barry, thank you so much for joining My pleasure. us. Real pleasure to have you. I just want to point out that anyone who wants to follow me at Matt Miller 1973 on Instagram can do so. Matt Miller 1973. My Instagram is Hannah Elliott XO. I will not be sharing my birth year with anybody who asks, and it's rude of you to ask. And um, you can also find me on Bloomberg.com and sometimes on the radio with Matt and sometimes with Barry. Follow me on Twitter at Ritholtz for as long as Twitter hangs on by its fingernails. It's doing a full Friendster. We're circling the dream. You know, we'll see what the new year brings. I guess that's it for Hot Pursuit. You can catch more at the same time, same place next week. I'm Matt Miller. I'm Hannah Elliott. And this is Bloomberg. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.